Welcome to the Muscle Nerd Podcast, presented by Lifters League, bringing real science to the strength community. Introducing your host, Gus Cook, head powerlifting coach of Lifters League, strength athlete, physicist, educator, and entrepreneur. Today we're going to talk about how we construct, basically how we would construct diets at Lifters League, but how um, specifically more for powerlifting um, or performance-based, performance or anaerobic, or mainly for anaerobic athletes. So, um, all right. First off. So when we first calculate, well, first off, anyone who's interested about how to build their own diet, you're probably best uh, getting a note pen and paper because there'll be a lot of numbers in this, and um, and you'll use these numbers to try and work out what you need to do. So um, some of the basics that everyone should um, everyone knows about about nutrition. You know, we should know less about nutrition is calculating your um, BMR, which is responsible for 70% of your daily caloric output. Um, so it's generally based off uh, weight, height, age, and there are plenty of formulas out there. You can generally punch them into punch them into Google and try and find find something out. But a more accurate way is that you can base it off your lean body mass. Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. How do you pronounce that? Oh, the catch McArdle. Catch McArdle formula um, is probably the more accurate one. It takes out a lot of the variables such as you know uh, weight, height, age, gender, and just goes straight to the most metabolic demanding tissue in the body, which is lean muscle mass. Um, and because as the, that varies based off age, height, and weight, uh, and gender, so. It's generally a bit more accurate way of measuring, and that's what we use at. Is that one a little more accurate for people that are quite like that? People that are lean or leanish. No, and, and also it's because if someone's massively overweight but only has the same muscle muscle mass as one of our newer lifters who's a lot lighter, so, you know, there's barely any metabolic demand to have to store fat, it's just a storage of energy, you know, but muscle mass is extremely metabolic metabolically demanding um so if you want to if people want to lose lose weight or use more cal- burn more calories then grow muscle because muscle is extremely metabolic demanding metabolically demanding and would account for ne- nearly 70 percent of your caloric output and hence one of the reasons why we um one of the best focuses for when we are focusing on fat loss and weight loss while we do so much weight uh, weight training exercises because they do impose a greater metabolic demand than simply doing cardio um, because we are manipulating your basically your basal metabolic rate you know the more muscle you have the longer the more calories you're going to utilize to sustain 
just to sustain yourself as, as you are. Um, one point to remember is that <clears throat> uh, we are an adaptive organism. So most of these BMRs are estimates based off uh, large population groups and that will vary based off input output and environmental factors um, and so and it's really based off a mechanism that's called homeostasis so if I was to continuously reduce my caloric intake then my body will eventually adjust its caloric output so that I will stop losing weight that's a survival mechanism um, it's a, it's a, it, that um, and why humans are so successful on this planet is because we're highly adaptive and if we were to eat 800 calories your body will find a way to survive and it will stop losing it'll stop eventually stop losing weight um, and the same happens in reverse if I keep eating you generally have to keep eating more and hence why you can't none of this is a linear progression in weight gain or weight loss they should be done strategically in waves and attacking it from um, different uh, different points or such as you know you know trying to increase muscle mass uh, etc. I think we I think it's a similar discussion we had we talking about comp prep. Yeah. There's more than one variable than just increasing training output and decreasing calories because it can become a never-ending cycle of constant reduction of calories when you think about metabolic changes that can happen to the body imposing a certain demand on the body to metabolize fat and build muscle you can simply gain weight lose fat build muscle and still prepare for a competition hence why i got away with having you know a lot of my athletes get away with you know 2000 plus calories coming at one of my girls coming at 2000 plus calories at nine percent body fat and most of those girls are the a big issue, big key difference. Things that most that my most successful girls who have done that deadlifted close to two hundred kilos, so they were very strong. Which you know, high level of stimulus, high high body has requires a high demand for calories. Um, Non-exercise activity thermogenesis uh, accounts for which accounts for fifteen to thirty percent of your caloric. Uh, um, caloric output which is generally what um, or which is or which is also called net which is the uh, uh, energy expended for everything we do that is not related to sleep eating or sports like activity so this is someone who is a maybe a highly active individual well there's one who's almost active Cynthia Cynthia is extremely Active, which is why she has to have close to three and a half thousand calories just to maintain her progression and strength training. Um, Where is she weighing? 52, 53 kilos. 500 calories, 52 kilos. Um, so, but she's actually made her best results in terms of muscle and strength gains when she has stopped doing all of her activities. Um, so when she had to leave from work that's when she like all of a sudden over a, a two month period put on like two kilos of lean mass which we would struggle to put on a kilo over a year with her um, but we dropped anything less than three and a half thousand three and a half thousand calories uh, progression would go backwards or not happen at all um, so these are things uh, these are the little things to take care of so if you've got a highly sed a sedentary person 
then I generally would recommend those individuals that they should have, take up some sort of small level of activity, even if it's just walking. I mean, it's just considered by, uh, by a lot of research that, you know, uh, something as simple as doing at least 30 minutes of walking per day, uh, which surprisingly a lot of people don't do, will massively increase uh, non-exercise uh, activity thermogenesis. And a lot of research has shown that it has one of the most biggest effects to um, changing someone's or dropping body fat or changing someone's body composition by simply being a more active person. And it happens a lot with individuals that we you know, assess. Here, actually, Sarah was one during her holiday put on a heap weight and she actually impacted her performance negatively because she had stopped doing work, which means it was, you know, whatever 10, 15,000 steps she's doing per day, um, which is part of her non-exercise activity thermogenesis, had actually impeded her performance because of her weight gain changing her leverages. Um, I mean, that's for a different reason, but in someone wanting to lose fat, that's the same thing. Now, it also pays just because you do exercise, not to neglect non-exercise activity thermogenesis, because people will generally try to overcompensate after training, they'll go become lazy, they'll just sit around more often. So you still have to have um, a high high level uh, or a reasonable level activity in 30 minutes per day, whether it can be in one go or broken up. A lot of research shows that breaking up um, over intervals over the day is um, a bit more, far more effective than it is to do it all in one, in one go. Um, Stan Efferding has a Pro, has a protocol to doing 10 minute walks um, post um, post meal, post any meal. It's easy, easy to remember, um, easy to implement, um, and has such a, um, many benefits such as um, uh, keeping insulin uh, insulin resistance at bay. Makes you feel pretty good. I've tried it for a while. Makes you like to do this food better. Yeah, I feel better. Energy level feels a lot better when you do it. Yeah, I don't feel bloated and lethargic as much. Right, number two is the thermic effect. Thermic effect of food, which accounts for ten percent of your um, uh, daily calories burnt from eating. So, you know, um, we would I would generally push to the higher end of. Um, well, actually, let's break it down. So, protein, twenty to thirty-five percent of the calories from protein um, will be used for uh, thermogenesis, compared to carbohydrates and fats, which is only between five and fifteen. 15%. Now, this is benefits in two ways that, you know, for weight weight loss, uh, increasing protein intake is going to have a high thermic effect on the body. But number two, protein has uh, does not have a storage mechanism, doesn't have a storage mechanism. So increase, there are a lot of research showing that an increase of protein intake had not negatively impacted the body, uh, body composition and uh, regardless when the calories were increased um, higher than, than the control. And the research showed that even up to 4.4 grams of use with an 800 to 1,000 calorie um, excess, excessive intake still showed no increase in body fat. But you're going to get the thermic effect of food and the fullness that um, pro protein provides for someone who may be on a uh, restricted diet. So most of the restrictions would come from carbohydrates and fats. We never, we'll never ever, ever restrict protein um, and same goes the other way with uh, trying to gain weight if people have excessive amounts of protein you know um, you could probably sit to the minimum effective dose of protein which is a, which research shows about 1.6 uh, 
grams per kilo of body weight um, if you're trying to gain weight. So for someone that weighs 100 kilos, 160 to 200 grams of protein is enough. If you're going upwards of 250 to 300 grams of protein for a weight gaining diet, the person's going to be too full and you're going to be excessively burning too many calories uh, because of the thermic effect of food. So, um, and given that protein and fats are both protein sparing, um, uh, carbs and fats, yeah, carbs and fats is protein sparing, then the intake of protein isn't needed as much. Um, exercise activity thermogenesis only accounts for about 5% of your daily calorie output. Um, it's only a very short portion of our day and only require and only or of our week and only um, has that thermogenesis for short for a short period of time. But it does have it if it depend on the type of training you do, which we focus on weight training, it does have an effect on your um, your basal metabolic rate, which accounts for a huge percentage of your caloric output. And this is um, and to, this is talking into ter in the terms of you know that's in terms of weight loss, but for weight gain, and those are the things that we want to try and manage. You know, what do we need to do to maintain health, that, you know, to um, be effective with our training, but then also how are we going to conserve our conserve calories? You know, if you want to be uh, a world champion strongman or powerlifter competitor, then it um, but, um, then it's going to be no point trying to do a you know five kilometer run every day, um, which is you know it sounds silly to some people, um, but for some that is what people do, and as such simple advice we give to people is like, oh how about don't go for a five kilometer run, um, and what well, do you know they start gaining muscle and building strength with, uh, with what they uh, what they need. So I'll got a graph here you know a breakdown of. Um, caloric needs, BMR, net, TEF, and EAT, which is the exercise, uh, which is the exercise activity thermogenesis that we just talked about. Um, doing a video, so we'll bring this up on now, um, on our feed. So, an easier way to sum all this up, we take your BMR, which is, takes, which accounts for 70% of your caloric output, we take, we take your BMR and generally punch it into a physical activity calculator. Um, generally, we would start, um, um, you know, you can start anywhere from, uh, we, we always generally aim for about 140% of a minimum caloric intake, and we found that is good for someone who is um, yeah. uh, sedentary or have extremely low, extremely low activity. Um, that can move upward, upwards of between you know 1.5, 1.7 to 2.2, and so um, based off there are heaps of these heaps of these formulas, and they will base they will base differently. But you know for an activity, um, a, uh, a physical activity level, we would use um, a, a coefficient for it was a coefficient times your BMR, which you know, for someone that's at entry you go 1.5. 1.7 who is active or moderately active, or 2.2 for someone who's vigorously active. All right, so part two of this, which is going into um, macronutrient breakdown. Now, just covering specifically the needs for a um, sports performance, or say, let's say anaerobic perform uh, performing athlete, um, 
once we have our calories, so um, calculated, calculated calories for someone like myself, that turns out to be about four, anywhere between 4,000 and 4,400 calories based off my activity levels. It's quite sedentary at the moment, so that would be about 4,000 about 4,000 calories um, just to maintain uh, what, uh, my current condition. And because recently I haven't been hitting that, I have lost like about three or four kilos. Um, but that is coming back up now to try and maintain maintain my weight. Now, those calories are then broken into three macronutrients, which are uh, protein, carbs, and fats. So, a minimum effective dose based off uh, based off those re um, minimum required calorie or, or minimum effective calories for performance. Um, the ISSN, which is the International Society of Sports Nutrition, uh, suggests a minimum intake of 12 to 15 percent. Now, very rarely I'd ever be that low because it doesn't always account for the minimum effective dose for muscle protein synthesis, which we have found to be anywhere between 20 and 30 percent. Um, if someone is looking at uh, weight loss, we'll push that any weight loss, weight loss, then we'll, we'll maintenance, we'll look at anywhere between like 40 to 50 percent of their um, caloric intake, or their calories might be adjusted based off their goal. Um, carbohydrates, um, an effective intake is 50 to 60 percent, and not everyone is going to have the capability of doing this. Um, so we would generally train their body to be able to handle such a high intake of carbohydrates. Um, um, so if from day one, you know, everything's working at 200 grams of carbs, but their effective dose is 500, you know, doesn't mean we stay at 200. We should be working towards that 500 if you want to get the maximum effective dose. Um, and then fats, fats are hugely effective for both um, hormone production and um, energy up or energy levels and um, um, recovery. We would aim towards it up to 30% of your calories coming from fats. And again, these vary based off um, body composition goals, um, but effective dose will push upwards of 30%. And again, most people aren't going to respond to the, you know, their body composition well with the high carbs and high fats unless training output's very high. And a lot of the athletes we have preparing for states and pro raw at the moment are hitting their effective, their effective intake. Um, and most of their body composition is actually quite positive. Um, so, protein, protein needs. It has been widely suggested for, for many years, mainly based off government health regulations that we have 0 0.8 to one gram per kilo per day, per kilo body weight per day, which is useless for any trained athlete. Um, but a lot of research has shown that the effective dose is about 1.6 grams per kilo of body weight um, and we are, and has found that there's no further contribution in um, uh, not much or a diminish, so say diminishing return in contributing to muscle protein synthesizing after 1.6 but there are still recommendations on on muscle performance and recovery for dosages up to up to up to 2.3 to 2.8 grams um, per kilo of body weight and this would highly depends on what your other macronutrients are doing if you have 
if you are having high effective dose of cover, uh, the highest effective dose of calories with the maximum effective dose of carbs and fats, then the lower lowest effective dose of protein, which generally at, at 1.6 grams per kilo body weight, will suffice. Um, research has shown to have to show that anywhere upwards of 4.4 grams can have a um, 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 will have no effect on body composition. So the um, so the, there's some pros and cons to that. So like more first off, more protein does not equal more gains, but um, but the benefit of having extra uh, extra protein in your diet uh, can have positive effects on for people, especially who are trying to diet. Um, so for those people, generally. I would push, we never would go to 4.4, it's an insane amount, um, but 3 grams, we take up to people up to 3 grams per kilo of body weight, and we're showing that's to have, especially um, anecdotally, when it's from uh, high meat intake, when, we, when we're pushing people, we have had people upwards of over a kilo of uh, red meat, and their diet had huge benefits uh, in terms of managing their body composition. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the times we found that they were also because even though the carbohydrates and fats were low, they had the a very high capacity to uh, or they had very very good energy levels, uh, even though their calories are quite quite low. Um, some of the other protein needs you require a complete protein source before bioavailability. So complete protein is basically something that has all uh, thirteen essential amino acids. Um, and that is not that many foods so generally you'd have to combine foods together especially we only we only only have the trouble for vegans it's quite you might be another podcast on the track but i think it'd be pretty cool to talk a little bit more about the benefits of protein because there's lots Mm -hmm. of little things that the body needs and naturally does that nobody some some people aren't really actually aware of the benefit of protein and actually when they're being male Absorbed of it as well. You know, it's all. I've had a couple like that. Yeah. Mm. I'm super pretty shocked by it. Like, they eat, they come here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, people who've done died before. Do you know, yeah, I start with people on the lower end. Mm. And so, like, let's Yeah, I've had that a lot, though. Like, people like more. Meat chunk, so yeah. much meat. It's like, this is the minimum. Interesting fact, how much meat do you eat a day then? Probably 400 now. Yeah. Trying to gain a lot of weight. carbs, yeah. What about you? Oh, I have two servings that I don't weigh my food. Yeah. I have six eggs, six eggs in the morning, two yeah. pieces of meat. I, I always make sure I have around about 700. I roughly weigh it out, but easily, mm. easily 700 plus. I have a big bloody steak yeah. at night. I would yeah. say it's probably at least four, 500 grams yeah. of steak at night. So I, I know I'm fine because yeah. we buy a kilo thing and yeah. have yeah. half it. So. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, um, protein function, so the benefits of protein produces antibodies for the immune system so um, there are a lot of uh, especially in meat the main one being um, B vitamins uh, he has a huge impact on looking after our immune system it's no good if we're sick when it comes to training um, produces, produces enzymes that are required for digestion um, blood coagulation and uh, other other chemical reactions um, it is obviously essential for uh, contractile protein for such as muscle mass, um, which is what makes us big and strong. Um, uh, 
So what's this say? Fibrous proteins um, form in connective connective tissue such as skin and hair. Hmm. I can't remember why I wrote that in. Maybe um, what they call it, the keratin. Hmm. To help with formulation. Um. So all right. Um. Components of uh, transporting proteins such as uh, hemoglobin. Um, components of peptide hormones such as uh, insulin, thyroid, HGH, uh, human growth hormone. Um, it can be a source of fuel, generally more immediate source of fuel. Again, no storage mechanism for protein, um, but a lot of uh, feedback about energy levels being good. All right, moving on to carbohydrates. So. Um, so carbohydrate, func carbohydrate function produces is the major source of energy for all cells in the body, particularly the, the brain. The, the brain would at least, at a minimum, require roughly 150 to 200 grams of glycogen per day. And so um, if we do not have proper brain function, we generally have lack of motivation, lack of energy, um, um, and this will show in people's uh, training, both training capacity um, uh, facilitates the body's metabolism of fat so you can see at times and every person's body is different but you see sometimes that people uh, lots of times where you increase protein or you increase carbohydrates fat drops faster but again everyone's everyone is different I definitely respond to lower carbs but there are certain people out there who respond to higher carbs and fat comes down a lot their body fat comes down a lot faster and it spares muscle protein again so it's muscle sparing more carbohydrates you have the le less protein you generally would need all right muscle glycogen redu um, is reduced by 30 to 40 percent well, muscle glycogen stores are reduced by 30 to 40 percent after resistance exercise so intra and post training carbohydrates may assist or will assist in recovery and the replacement of loss of carbs um, Dextrose, fructose, and salt mix is ideal. Uh, we'll go in more details with that soon. Um, strength athletes require five to six grams per kilo body weight per day to maintain in intensity of resistance training. So again, research shows that 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 at that dose, generally you get the highest performance output from an athlete. Can you say that again? That the rates. So five to six grams per kilo, uh, per kilo uh, of body weight per day to maintain intensity of resistance training. Um, maximum effective dose is about 55 to 60% of your caloric needs. Um, not all athletes would be able to do this. Um, okay, so that's... Fats are, are really essential. When people, when people talk about, an interesting fact, when people talk about getting ready for a competition, it's quite popular that people do carb loading. Now, carb loading uh, generally isn't beneficial for any sports except high endurance athletes and is not something you do the night before pigging out. It actually takes up to about it's 10 days or so. It's a very lengthy process to get your body to store more carbohydrates than it generally would be capable of doing. 
um, we've never ever seen the need or have had to do carb loading, but fat loading, increasing intramuscular triglyceride storages has shown significant um, um, benefits in uh, performance. And it is critical for transmission of nerve signals that generate muscle contraction. Um, fats are also essential for supporting anabolic hormone production, meaning increasing, uh, has shown to increase testosterone circulation. Again, one of the most powerful, most powerful hormones to producing muscle mass and recovering, and recovering athletes. It is also essential because it also absorbs many very essential vitamins that people do lack in, which is vitamin A, D, E, and K. And then when we come to cholesterol, so you have good cholesterol and bad cholesterol. Cholesterol is not the enemy. Um, now, in a trained athlete, there is research showing that anything, people who had 5.7 milligrams per kilo of, per kilo of lean body mass per day of cholesterol showed an increase of 2.1 kilograms of lean mass and 86% and increase in strength compared to someone less than 3.5 milligrams per kilo of lean body mass per day. And I think that study was done over an eight week, eight or 12 week period. So fats are pretty important when it comes to macronutrients. Um, next part of this equation, nutrient timing. So nutrient timing, number one, meal frequency. Breakfast is important for breakfast is important for both for brain function. It produces helps produce many of the neurotransmitters that we need, or different types of foods that you have. So a high protein diet will have a very positive effect on ser on serotonin, giving you uh, a feel good for the day. The better you would feel, the better the day, more productive the day will be, the more effective training you'll have, and will reduce cortisol. Cortisol levels are high in the morning. Cortisol is used to wake you up, and is food will help that. And cortisol will also break down um, uh, tissue, not just muscle, not just fat tissue, but also muscle tissue. We need to eat frequently because of muscle protein breakdown. So our body is also going through. Our body goes through both. Muscle pro muscle protein breakdown and muscle protein synthesis. They're not what it's not what it's not a it's not a, on a it's not a spectrum where it's one or the other. It's both all the time. So your body is constantly trying to build muscle tissue, whilst at the same time your body is constantly trying to break it down. What we need when we build muscle is that we need muscle protein synthesis to be greater than muscle protein breakdown. Since we have no storage for um, no storage mechanism for for protein, if muscle protein muscle protein breakdown is at its highest, which is probably pretty high in the morning, given that we're fasting and have high um, high levels of cortisol, breaking breaking that fast will, and, and having constant intake of protein will allow the body to have quick access to amino acids, preventing muscle protein breakdown and stimulating muscle protein synthesis. One thing I learned when I did my surgery for and all that sort of stuff using is in the I remember they did a chart on protein synthesis and yeah. they said there's seven like main key roles for protein mm. and making muscle was like the last priority for the body. So it's mm, like it you is. want to do all the cells and all the immune, all the things that you said before. And then at the very, very end, if there's enough left over, mm. 
and then it will make muscle. Yeah, it, if, if there is a deficiency, it's going to want to get rid of muscle first. Mm. It's just not essential. Luxury. Yeah, it's a luxury for the body. Um, if it's the same thing when it comes to uh, cardio, your body. Um, Stan Efferty put this in a good way. Because when you're doing car- when you're doing cardio, um, um, muscle is not essential for cardiovascular output. Cardio, your body will adapt to become good at doing that cardiovascular activity and muscle slows you down when it comes to cardio. It's only very good for lifting weights. Um, well, and there's obviously a lot of other benefits to it too, but it is a luxury to the body in terms of survival. Um, um, also, okay, then again, uh, another reason for meal frequency is um, varied energy levels. Um, um, varied carbohydrate intake will depend um, um, depending on training and energy levels. So, you know, generally, you know, some people feel uh, um, uh, energy levels may fluctuate with individuals, whether that means greater frequency, smaller meal portions, or greater meal portions because people. Um, generally, it's more effective to have small, broken up meals over the day. You don't get generally a high influx, a high, uh, if you have a high intake of carbohydrates in one sitting, you, uh, generally you have a bit of an insulin overload, which can cause, uh, which then can cause insulin resistance and, uh, and fatigue. Um, but then most of the carbohydrates are gonna be beneficial during training when your blood sugar levels are high. So faster access to glycogen when your blood sugar levels are higher and Post-training is a very good time to have a majority of your carbohydrates as most of it will be used to replace muscle glycogen. And does the carbs allow like transfer of other minerals and that into the cells as well? So like protein, things like that? Does it work that way? Well that so it produces carbohydrates produce produce insulin. Insulin is the transporter for, for nutrients. Yeah. So yes, you need carbohydrates to transport nutrients throughout the body. Yeah. Um if one thing you you shouldn't be doing is having a lot of your carbohydrates in one in one sitting, um, a lot of your carbohydrates in one in one sitting as uh, uh, an over an overabundance of insulin and um, going beyond the capacity storages at that particular or um, storage rate at that particular time, which then will cause fat gain, um, and then very distracting. So, not having all your carbohydrates in one sitting like your old mate. Yeah, I had a client working this exact thing right now. Just um, finding a lot of fat gain, unwanted fat gain. And mm. we kind of worked out almost all his carbs are in one meal, I'm mm. looking at a lot of carbs. So we're just trying uh, meal timing before we actually adjust the diet too much. And already the fat gain slowed for the first time with that alone, last mm. check-in, so, so far so good. You can see where it goes. Um, another one is um, uh, for meal timing, takes apparently four hours for muscle protein synthesis to regain its sensitivity. So we also don't want to be eating too frequently. You don't want to be eating every two hours. Rather, you'll be more it'll be more effective to eat every, uh, um, every three to five hours um, um, per day, which they will work out in between three to six meals per day. Um, again, that varies for different individuals based off you know, their lifestyle as well and their and how they handle foods. I do really well on four meals per day to try and hit 
or everything I need. Work life sometimes only gets me about three meals in, which I do have an effect on my energy levels a lot. I only have three, trying to eat as much, trying to eat as much as I can. I, I really know how much I can eat in one sitting without feeling overly fatigued, um, especially when I'm not um, not training as much as I used to. <clears throat> Carbohydrate. Timing, intra-training uh, intra carbohydrates are uh, beneficial for long duration of exercise, anything over an hour. Uh, Post-training carbohydrates will support multi-day sessions. So um, I was very strategic with this with a lot of my comp prep, comp prep guys. Um, um, I was like saying before, like Brady's probably the easiest person to prep which was actually then a bad learning experience then. It's better when it's really, it's good when it's really hard. Mine is very difficult and had a, a huge learning experience. And yours is pretty difficult mm. too. And huge learning experience when, especially when you're trying to overcome major issues. But some of the things that we, um, uh, some of the girls I had them train up to twice per day, both weight training sessions and car timing, did you ever play um, a very big role in replenishment and um, getting ready for the next training training session. Um, more, the car, more the carbohydrates should be consumed post-training. <clears throat> Again, be more utilized for recovery and glycogen, um, glycogen uh, reuptake. Um, excessive single meal carbs of amounts should be avoided. Um, protein, needs, protein needs to be regular. Fat should be avoided around uh, training times unless uh, on a keto diet, um, you're gonna have very slow, uh, sl a very low, um, very low increase or very slow increase of blood sugars when it comes to having if you're having fats too close to the training, but then fats become an energy source if you're in a, on a ketogenic diet. Um, Pre-workout. So what we want to do is have it at least. The goal is not always going to happen, but at least 200 grams before training. Now, not just immediately before training, but I'm talking about throughout the entire day. Um, so if you train early, well generally, it's, if you train too early, it's, you know, it gets a bit difficult. Mid-afternoon or mid-morning is a bit better because you generally get two meals in, you're close to 200 grams. By the afternoon, it's fine. Um, when it comes to people competing, um, we only have about a four to six hour window. Um, before competition to eat eat that and we don't generally don't want to eat too close to train um, to competing um, generally I don't like people that um, any, have any heavy meals you know at least four hours before and at least try to get a meal a decent meal in four to six hours before so we try to get that 200 grams of carbs within the first two to four hours before they compete um, and then they'll get the rest in through snacks and drinks um, when they <clears throat> when they're competing to keep so they don't have too much in their stomach um, while they compete and still trying to hit an effective dose of carbohydrates. Um, <clears throat> late training, eat carbs. Eat, um, eat carbs are, um, around training. If you if you are training late, trying to you only, if you only have a certain amount that you prescribe per day, better off having it more around your training times. Um, and I'll go over. I should go over that now. So. Actually, some actually we'll go over it now. So some other pre-workout uh, recommendations: hydration and sodium. So be be hydrated. Um, rule of rule of thumb, based off 
um, the journal um, based off the ISSN recommendations is drink about 600 mils of water uh, before one hour before training with salt. Um, <clears throat> intra workout, we don't have a greater focus. <clears throat> we have a we have, oh, there's a, actually there's a bit of a formula here. Um, I usually go into the low end of the formula, so you got 30 to 60 grams per hour in a 600 to 1000 mil solution. Uh, for powerlifters, um, I would aim more for that 30 grams to six um, in the one liter solution. Um, higher if we're looking at trying to have more carbohydrates in a diet, um, and more if, if you're um, training um, more than say four days per week, if you're training five, six days per week or having multiple sessions, um, then you would look at the, you'll look at the 660 grams per 60 mils of, in the 60 mil solution. Um, Post-workout goal is to replenish what you've lost, salt, glycogen. We aim to the best, we well don't, um, uh, some recommendations is one gram per pound, so that was a half a, two grams per kilo of body weight per hour of training, um, is what you should replenish post-training. Uh, you can increase the rate of absorption with fructose and dextrose mix. So <clears throat> recommend, our recommendation would be um, 250 mils of orange juice, which will give you about 25 grams of fructose to 50 grams of dextrose. Um, there's research showing that um, both, caf both caffeine and sodium will increase that absorption. I'm a bit skeptical on the caffeine, but I do do the sodium. So the orange juice, dextrose, and sodium is a, is a good mix. Yeah, it's supposed to help the absorption of supposed to help the absorption of carbohydrates more. So, example, if you just to have straight dextrose before um, post training, you'll generally absorb it about one gram per one gram per minute. And apparently, if you mix that with fructose, they they kind of digest independently. So those are going up to about two grams, two grams per minute. Um, and then when you introduced uh, salt and caffeine, that increases it by another one or two grams per. Uh, per minute, so then you get very, very, very fast absorption. And that's our major mix when we're doing, well, mainly, mainly uh, dextrose, mainly from dextrose and multidextrin. Um, we would do that combination between rounds, between flights, and powerlifting competitions. All right, <clears throat> all right. So we're forty-two minutes in. Okay, so food composition. All right, so with food composition, the things that we're looking after is that. Our micronutrient intake, uh, things that help uh, performance and health. Uh, we need things that look after um, that look after. Well, we're just listening. So your minerals that you should be we should be aiming to have: uh, calcium, chloride, um, copper, iodine, uh, iron, magnesium, manganese, and some other things I can't read. Uh, phosphorus, potassium. Uh, sodium, zinc, and then your vitamins, fat, fat, fat soluble and water soluble, um, A, D, E, and K, and then your water soluble, D and C. Now, we made some other couple of recommendations. Actually, I made a point here on fructose. Um, so everyone's scared. <clears throat> There's always this kind of fat, this kind of thing about people being scared about having fructose, and that it's healthy. Couldn't be more wrong. 
um, it's one of the one of the best things when it comes to weight loss or fat loss. Um, but gen- especially people we have found who are insulin resistant, um, that will replace the majority of their diet with fruits, has shown to increase their insulin sensitivity. Um, it helps stimulate stimulate the liver. It helps improve thyroid function, increase uh, and increases body temperature. So again, for something for weight loss or fat loss, uh, it's a great. Remember, there's a girl who just ate fruit, went really viral for a while. Yeah. Remember that she was like some fit chick who just ate nothing but fruits, but it was That reminds me of um, that reminds me about that that new client we got who's on, the he's on the yeah carnival meat. <laughs> I think anything, anything restrictive, like there are, I've seen benefits, like there are probably, ben- probably, she's probably against, there's never benefits in anything restrictive. Mm-hmm. I've seen some benefits with the carnivore diet, he's not doing it properly. Um, um, but I have some, seen some very positive things with it, but in the end, a sound principle is that nothing, anything restrictive, is not going to be uh, long-term good. Long-term good. Now, Remember, he's doing this because of his gut issues that he had. And I think it's just a, when it comes to, we said, we found the root cause again, and it was to do with his um, upset gut. And he spent many years trying to address it. And um, there are many ways to address it, uh, address, address gut issues, is that getting a look for things that are, first off, you need to head, you need to, head to a restrictive heart. One of the things that you get in terms of people do is you can go to more of a you know, liquid, uh, liquid diet, or number two, um, restricted restricted down to um, there are uh, to a restrictive FODMAP style approach, um, and there are different versions of FODMAP. So there are very there are some lenient ones and some very strict ones. But basically, you're gonna take it down to a point where that your gut has no more it isn't irritated anymore, and you start to feel better. From then on, in you're meant to then introduce foods, introduce foods. So for him, he's actually down to like. One food group, yeah, three, three food foods, total or something. Like three foods total. So, okay, he's like basically always completed stage one, mm-hmm. which is you know, get active, feeling all right, feeling good. But he must start because he's showing all the symptoms of fatigue, which is you know when you look at his diet, it's like all well, your answers are there. Yeah, you know, um, fatigue, recovery, sleep, stress—they're all ruins. Like it just points to one thing: you have a very restrictive diet. It's straight protein, pretty much. I think though there are some good things with the carnivore. I've seen some good things, but they have all animal products, which you can actually cover a massive, large majority of your mm-hmm. nutrient intake. Um, and for a lot of people, um, they use it to, especially more in women, where they've seen benefits in managing um, um, PCOS symptoms or estrogen or that estrogen issues. Just curiosity. Mm. Overall calories, how much is he eating a day then if that's the only It's very little. Because I think that's half an issue in itself. I think it was in the 215. I'm trying to make a calculation of like, I eat a fair bit of meat, but that's the only thing makes up so many calories. There's a bit of cheese and um, bacon and stuff. Okay. That got it up. So the fats, the little bit of fats. I think when when I put it in, it was like 320 grams of protein, but 100 grams of fats. So even the fats are massively restrictive. If anything, if I have someone on a very low carb, very low carb. At least we at least have we always at least always see their fats between anywhere one hundred and fifty to two hundred grams of fats per day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah. It's almost like it's a, a lot of calories. Not even keto is too low fat to be keto. It's not even cut there. In a way, 
Anyway. Uh, research conducted with over 200,000 participants showed protective effects for protective effects for cardiovascular disease and, de- and decreased all causes of mortality. Interesting. Um, fructose and dextrose together accelerate uptake in post training, which we just talked about before. Um, a suggestion is use uh, our suggestion you, um, is oranges for weight loss and orange juice for and you can finish writing it in for weight gain. What were your orange juice yesterday? So again, the reason why we would have more a whole fruit for weight loss is again, the fibrous intake would help um, make the people feel feel more full um, and satisfy them for longer periods of time. Where orange juice has actually the opposite effect, makes people stimulates stimulates hunger. Okay, so. We're up to we're up to food um, composition. So protein requirements. Um, again, we need biological value, good protein uh, ratio efficiency, and protein digestibility um, to uh, that creates complete proteins. Other consideration is the effect that it may have on the gut and its nutrient content. So when you work on a, I work I like to work on a good, better, best scenario um, where you know. You know, something that's good, you know, um, you're looking at things like uh, chicken and um, whey protein is, is, yeah, I think is, that's very debatable because I think if you take into consideration um, gut irritation, then maybe it's a better solution rather than the best solution. Um, milk, fish, tofu, milk, yogurt, cheese, they're all um, good sources of protein but best sources of protein you're looking at your red meat salmon eggs um, but a mixture of all of the books they all have nutrient value but again it all comes down to your um, better best scenario um, when it comes to carbohydrates there are various reasons I think carbohydrate comes I think it's better off focusing on the effects that it may have on the gut there are some things like, such as glycemic index and glycemic load glycemic load is a little bit more important than glycemic index glycemic index doesn't really play a role when especially when you are having other types of food as the index of that or the glycemic index of that food starts to reduce when you introduce proteins and fats um, but the load of the food does um, the glycemic load of the food can play an impact so saying white rice is okay to eat sorry if you're saying white rice is okay to eat the glycemic index is high but it makes no people drink out a lot sometimes yeah. when I meet new people they're like oh I can have white rice like, yes <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, so say why like the, it's more yeah. reason why I do is because of more digestibility given that you know generally for the for the pop, general population anywhere between 100 and 200 grams of carbs per day is suffice to sustain what they're doing but for someone for like an athlete now they're four five six hundred grams of carbs per day um, and if you're going to do that one of the things I have to start taking into account of when you start hitting very excessive intake which I'm starting to have a problem with some of the guys on the states team now is um, um, your gut irritation or bad bowel movements or, or reflux and those are some of the things where you start focusing on the foods that are um, uh, that generally are nicer on the gut and so we'll start strip down the foods that affect it too much and put easy digestible foods that uh, we can consume a large amount and white rice is a very is very very effective um, so you're looking at your better best good better best scenario um, 
some of the foods that are good, you know, anything that's like uh, uh, fortified cereals, grains, um, um, pastas, when we look at bread, best using something like sourdough bread, um, as it's already partially fermented. And your best scenario, you're looking at things like rice and potato, fruits. Um, um, sometimes oats. Oats is a bit of a double-edged, bit of a double-edged sword with some people when it comes to gut um, gut issues. So I put that in the better rather than the best uh, scenario. Um, Fat, now fat is anywhere that requires up to about 30% of your, you need require 30% of your calories have to, should come from fats. Now that's broken up into three parts, that monounsaturated, polyunsaturated, and saturated. 10 to 15% of your calories should come from monounsaturated, which are like your, um, olive, we've got your olives, nuts, avocados, polyunsaturated, which is your, which should make up 10 to 15% of your calories, which um, you need your omega-3s, omega-6s, omega-3s can come from fish, flax, um, walnuts, and we have omega-6, which is from things like uh, nuts and seeds. Then you've got your saturated fats, which has to make up at least 10% of your uh, calories. Um, meat, poultry, butter, cheese, cream, milk, so dairy. Things to avoid at all costs, and have, or have as little as possible, is your trans-saturated fats, such as processed food, margarine, pastries, no, I did think deep fried vegetable oils. Okay, so, a good, better, best scenario. Again, you're better off having things from um, from nuts and eggs and avocado. Um, um, some of your better, some better stuff as well. You've got um, some of your stuff from dairy. Again, it's in the better section because of some of its gut irritation issues, but. Um, only for some people, butter seems to be pretty good with that. Butter and cheese seems to be pretty good with the, on the gut compared to something like yogurt or milk, um, which is would be more in the, I guess, say, on the lower end of this spectrum. Dark chocolate, um, I've got high high intake high, high intake of um, high, high dose of magnesium, uh, etc. Right. And last thing to take into account when it comes to food consumption is. Uh, is gut health. So we try to aim to have general general principle of rules that you look at having whole foods. Most processed foods are going to lead, generally have some sort of um, leading cause of metabolic syndrome. One of the examples is um, emulsifiers. You know, there are good emulsifiers and bad emulsifiers. Most processed foods are going to have bad emulsifiers. And when it comes to something like, uh, actually there are a lot of emulsifiers in a lot of your low fat, low fat products. So all those low-fat products end up being can be end up being worse for you because they use emulsifiers to give to help bind water with um, with other substances so that it has this texture of fat. Um, but there is some research showing that 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 changes the absorption of nutrients in the um, in, in the gut lining, so it affects the gut lining, so it changes the absorption of food. Uh, which then leads to meta, which has led to uh, metabolic syndrome. Again, metabolic syndrome um, uh, it, it is one of the things that cause um, weight gain uh, or obesity. So quite it's not about what you consume; it's about what you absorb. Mm. Um, 
uh, we look at foods to, that may be causing inflammation. Inflammation uh, may cause insulin resistance or any sort of gut irritation. Uh, dairies, uh, particular sources of dairy, some people with eggs or, or nuts or gluten, how it affects some people, yeah, not every, not everyone. Um, um, again, uh, um, uh, malabsorption, energy levels, sleep disruption, all generally can be linked to uh, gut health. So the choices that we make with food do matter. Um, all right, so let's get through this last bit a bit quickly. So supplements, um, generally with supplements, probably our major three prescription is vitamin D, creatine monohydrate, and omega-3. There's some major supplements that you guys prescribe as pretty much our major three. Yeah. Um, anything else generally is taken into consideration depending on the individual and what the, and the, what the individual's needs um, or requirements or from their base of their deficiencies, which we'll always try to address through food first and then reassess, uh, reassess the issue before going on to prescribe um, some sort of uh, supplement such as iron, B vitamins, magnesium, uh, etc. Um, going back to the, the supplements that we commonly use, they're pretty hard to get uh, in, uh, in nature uh, at the doses, at the ergogenic doses, such as creatine, you need to have 20 kilos of raw meat to get the effective dose of creatine monohydrate. Um, omega-3 and uh, most we're not going to have access to or, uh, as, as much access as we like to omega-3 sources in the western world um, and vitamin D uh, the doses we take for someone who may be vitamin D deficient um, is not possible to have an effect with some, some of the deficiencies that we see come through um, but again trying to address it through food first is always uh, always ideal so that gives you the priority, the most the ordered priority, which I would go through with some people, is that number one rule is that, especially with sports athletes, is that you always get your calories down. No matter what, calories are king. I don't I always tell people, I don't care if, if you're traveling, count your fucking calories and have KFC. You know, Just get the food you need down to sustain your weight. You Yeah, you may feel like shit, and people always say, yeah, I feel like shit after eating KFC. But yeah, but, yeah, in the end, uh, that's all you got to have, and 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 you should be prepared. But if that's all you got to have. You're, it's more important to have your calories. Next step is always ensure that people have their macro nutrient. Now, for some people, um, um, where something like IFYM suits some people, I have probably at least probably three or four, probably about three clients, three maybe four clients who do IFYM, and it suits them better. Um, um, but we do go through their diet in detail and make strategic changes to make sure that they're eating well. I generally don't like to take this approach. I generally like to, um, because it does require someone to be quite educated and the people that I do have doing it are actually well, well educated in um, IFYM. And some of the people where, um, where we thought that might have suited, actually Christine used to follow IFYM, got her off it. We try to go back to it because of her busy life schedule with opening up a startup business and she can't do it anymore. She loves that it's planned. She likes it. It's a lot easier to put some routine. So much less effort. Just so me. Cool. For everyone, it's for everyone, it's different. For everyone, it's different. Some people mentally need high level flexibility, but some people 
like some of your clients, the only one just would not be capable of doing IFR. Yeah, I've been resorting to it a little bit more lately because I think at the end of the day, like you're saying about Compliance is number one too. Yeah, yeah compliance is probably the best way. That at the end of the day, like you're saying, no matter what, they're starting to understand that at least I've got to get calories in and it doesn't make them feel so restricted, mm. to maybe a better way to put it. Um, <clears throat> number two, the next most important thing, I rank them together, both nutrient timing and food consumption. Um, to be just as equally as important. Um, nutrient timing does matter, especially when it comes to maintaining energy levels, um, brain function, um, um, recovery, etc. Food consumption has a huge impact. Um, again, all these have different impacts at different stages and over different periods of time, we'll go through soon. Um, the least most important thing is supplements. There's a little scale here called a rate of de degra What's it called? Can you tell me that? Deterioration. 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 Yeah, rate of deterioration. So, um, there's four levels of that. So, if you go, if you were to put it, I always say calories will affect you, your, your body composition, your performance, and your health in, you know, in a one to three week period. Right, you start to have a calorie reduction very quickly. You will start to notice the effects. Energy Some sooner more than others. Yeah, <laughs> energy levels will drop, weight will drop, performance will drop, and you can have effects quite quickly. You know, um, people miss a day. You know, a day after people eat shit over the weekend, come to training Monday, feel like shit. So it can be quite immediate. Macronutrient, you would say, I would say, has a a twelve week effect on the body, um, so, so between three to six months. Um, if you neglect the macronutrients, you will very quickly stall. You won't make continuous body composition anything. Like people can start restricting or controlling the calories and find immediate progression straight away. Start losing weight, you know. it'll start to slow down if we aren't then looking at macronutrients. So it will have an effect over the next 12 week period. Micronutrients. Micronutrients, I would say, is something that will affect you over the next three to 12 months. You will start to have impact on your immune system, your health, um, your gut health. I mean, these are some of the things that affect you um, for longevity or long-term, uh, long-term progression. And again, with any athlete, that's going to be what we're going to do over the next year or two. So we have to look after the individual's health, look after the gut so that they're able to keep going. It is important that we look after the foods we eat and the micronutrients that we take. And the last level of that is um, phytonutrients. So, you know, phytochemicals in foods are things that are shown to have health benefits over over a decade. So, none of these, you know, all the good phytochemicals that we need from whole foods. And there's this study I read about avocado, so this phytochemical called uh, Avocatin B, and it's shown, it has shown to be one of the things that can help treat uh, leukemia, and it's very successful candidate for treating uh, leukemia. Um, so you could have a lot of these anti-cancer fighting chemicals in foods that only come from whole foods, uh, such as avocado, um, and these are some of the things that are going to affect you for life. Um, not immediate, but what we eat now um, could be fighting off 
the cancer you might get um, in later years. And lastly, uh, hydration and sodium. So we say this is probably one of also a huge so for people who may have their diet, this, this could be one thing that you were to change right now is your sodium intake. Massive feedback on energy levels and, and performance when it comes to sodium intake. Um, upwards of six to eight grams of salt per day for athletes is required. At a minimum, most people should be having more than five grams per day, at least five grams of sodium per day. Now, people say, but isn't sodium a leading cause for blood pressure or hypertension? And it's like, it is, but what is the research done on? And the research is done on um, the general population and generally the general population are eating high sodium foods from processed what? Foods. From processed foods. Mm-hmm. So yes, the sodium intake is high, but from um, processed foods. So you're seeing people with hypertension. Generally, the people with hypertension are overweight. Mm-hmm. And why they're overweight? Generally eating crappy, crappy foods. So when you're doing the research, it doesn't really support the intake of sodium for, for athletes or health in general. Um, when you take a group of people and measure blood pressure and find out what kind of things that those people with high blood pressure do. They take, they have a lot of sodium. Um, reducing their sodium intake will, re, will reduce their blood pressure, um, but that doesn't mean you extrapolate the same data for athletes. Um, when it comes to salt also, we're trying to, um, um, we, we suggest generally using pink Himalayan, mainly because of the high iodine. Um, uh, um, iodine is still not that very much Iodine, we generally get more from other um, other other sources, but um, we need iodine for a healthy thyroid function. Um, and hydration. Now, there isn't that the the only recommendation is the everyone's heard the eight cup rule, which you know um, was actually um, was actually pushed by um, a lot of hydration companies such as. Um, um, Gatorade they push they do push for um, staying hydrated all the time it's because it sells their product you create create awareness about a risk of being thirsty or, or, or a risk of being dehydrated then people will overly consume water now it's hard to under consume water to be dehydrated than it is to over consume uh, over consume water but the number one rule when it comes to hydration is that drink a drink when you're thirsty which is obvious but then having access to water all the research shows those two things drinking you're thirsty having ac- and having access to water is what we'll do if you're sitting down and you're thirsty you're probably not going to get up and have a drink but if you have a bottle so we suggest that people should carry a bottle of water around and that would really increase um the person um uh, or uh, increase hydration um next rule 600 mils of again 600 mils of water before before training, about an hour before training, is probably the only other only other suggestion. And you're rarely dehydrated from water, which is why it's important to have salt. It's normally a lack of lack of sodium or lack of electrolytes. Um, yeah, so those are all the major components when it comes to dieting. I got some other slides here 
uh, about body composition goals, which we went over, went over through the. We'll go for a little bit now. Um, so, one of the things that uh, with weight loss, um, um, you know, why why uh, people get confused with weight loss and fat loss. Um, we in powerlifting is more and more probably important that we focus on fat loss because we're trying to still increase muscle mass which um, which may make a person heavier um, weight loss does require a deficit and being a deficit isn't generally advantageous when it comes for powerlifting but if weight loss is a goal for someone who's uh, at an unhealthy weight then calorie control is important um, fat loss um, it is better loss than a deficit, but isn't needed for general fat loss. Generally, lifestyle changes or changes to other variables, uh, such as like adding in training, adding in, um, um, or making them be more active throughout the day, changing their food. Uh, fat loss is more of a metabolic response. Um, in the end, though, uh, especially when trying to get extremely lean, or if people are extremely overweight, calorie deficits are needed. Um, and yeah, most of these are covered. So, I mean, um, so this may vary based off, like I said, um, some of the recommendations be based off your body composition goal, or very based off body composition goals and performance goals. Um, um, eating such high intake of, in general, eating such a ridiculous intake of food, which is what may be suggested can be hard on the gut for some people and hard on people can be hard on some people's health especially if a lot of athletes are pushing to gain weight especially what you have in the anaerobic athletes that we would periodize your eating plan just the way we periodize your training plan and that we would end up bringing giving that individual some time to uh, rest and recover their gut uh, by bringing down to more of a healthy consumption of food rather than excessive consumption of food for or an effective ergogenic effect um, for performance of the company. So, cool. Any points you guys want to add to? Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you wish to contact me, please email me, gus, G-U-S, at musclenerd.com.au.